This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, and tonight's Late Late Show will be hosted by me, Emily Edwards. This week, we're going to look at a topic of recent debate and explore the idea of building positive working relationships with our students. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. As I said, my name is Emily Edwards. If this is your first time with me, um, I'm currently teaching secondary history as a full-time classroom teacher. I started my NQT year back when it was called an NQT in 2017 and I have an MPQML as well as experiences in middle leadership, both in temporary positions as a pastoral deputy head of sixth form and curriculum lead for history. Thankfully, though, not at the same time. I also have experience in teaching Key Stage 3 to 5 for history, and I've also taught Key Stage 5 or A-level politics. So, with our introductions having been made, tonight we're going to explore what a positive working relationship with students actually looks like, both uh, theoretically and also practically in the classroom. And we're going to discuss some tricks and tips on what we can do to build better positive working connections with our students. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, Specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is considering significant reform of A-levels in England, which, according to the BBC, could see the introduction of what it calls a new British baccalaureate. The PM's plans could include the compulsory study of maths and English up to the age of 18, as reported in the Daily Telegraph. It's not the first time Mr Sunak has considered a shake-up, having previously said during an unsuccessful leadership campaign last year that he wanted all young people to study maths to 18. Foreign Office Minister Andrew Mitchell told BBC Radio 4 that he expects Mr Sunak to agree to reform of the education system and said the government will be guided by the best expertise on how we ratchet up standards. Concern about any proposed changes have already been raised by unions and other post-16 professional associations, particularly around the existing issues of recruitment, retention and concerns around workload. A spokesperson for the Sixth Form Colleges Association said the post-16 curriculum was narrow by international standards and this was partly reflective of chronic underinvestment in sixth form education since 2010. The BBC also features an article on the fall in numbers of students being accepted into universities in the UK, the first fall in five years. Applications also fell after demand rose during the pandemic. Fewer students got into their first choice of university this year, but more qualified for their second choice or accepted places through clearing. 
The new data from UCAS shows 270,350 UK 18 year olds were accepted onto a course this year, down from 275,390 in 2022. UCAS says the figures show a return to normal growth following the surge of demand seen during the pandemic. Data for individual universities is not yet available. Last week on Teachers Talk Radio News, we featured reaction to the latest data published on suspensions and exclusions. In a linked story, Schools Week has published further analysis, this time focusing on data from schools linked to incoming Ofsted Chief Inspector Sir Martin Oliver. The analysis reported in the article suggests the Outwood Grange Academy's Trust secondaries excluded twice as many pupils as other schools in some of their regions. At a pre-appointment hearing before the Education Committee last month, Sir Martin was challenged by MPs over the Trust's high suspension rates. Sir Martin responded, Our figures for permanent exclusions are lower than most in the areas in which we work. Schools Week says the data for the Trust's 13 secondary schools in Yorkshire and Humber had a 0.31 exclusion rate, the equivalent of three in every 1,000 pupils compared to 0.17 across the region's other secondaries. In the northeast, the Trust 7 secondaries had a rate of 0.64 compared to 0.3 in others. Kim Johnson, the only committee MP to vote against the appointment of Sir Martin, said he should be brought back to answer for his words. Frank Norris, an education advisor for the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, said the original comments could be viewed as misleading. A trust spokesperson told Schools Week that Sir Martin was comparing exclusion rates between some individual outward schools to some of the other schools in the same local authorities with similar profiles. Spokesperson also added that the schools had been underperforming for years and had now been transformed by the trust. More details of the Schools Week analysis and full commentary can be found online. In Ireland, the Irish Independent reports on what it calls radical changes in how students are assessed as being on the way in a move to combat the threat of AI platforms such as ChatGPT. Higher education colleges are already being told to abandon certain forms of assessment because they are no longer sufficiently robust to award scores which count towards official grades. These include do-at-home assignments or essays, unsupervised online assessments, and multiple choice quizzes which are conducted online. There will be greater reliance on oral assessments to check understanding and systems to identify if students have cheated by using AI. However, colleges are being told to resist any temptation to switch back to traditional end-of-semester formal exams. Instead, they should consider short-term re-weighting of assessments whilst they formulate a long-term plan. Finally, This week saw Education Secretary Gillian Keegan comment in the House of Commons that children she had visited in schools affected by poor quality concrete, known as RAC, had been petitioning me to stay in the porter cabin because they preferred it to the actual classroom. Ms Keegan's comments were met with derision by many, saying it showed a chronic lack of understanding of the poor quality facilities schools had been using for many years particularly since the cancellation of the project to rebuild many schools. However, Downing Street defended the comments, saying it reflected a conversation with children and that the department and leaders had worked hard to make sure children had been unaffected by the current challenge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Hello, welcome back. So before we jump into our behavior tips and tricks and those kind of practical aspects that we can use in our classroom, I think it'd be really useful for our kind of first section tonight to look at some misconceptions. What are people misunderstanding about building positive relationships? What are some dangerous kind of myths online that are being perpetrated and um, kind of confusing, especially newer teachers in our profession when it comes to positive relationships? So what do I actually mean when I talk about positive relationships? I've seen a lot of varying ideas about what uh, positive relationships as a concept actually means. And with these misconceptions, people have understandably avoided the idea or simply called it something else 
uh, to kind of avoid any stigma associated with it. So let's go through a couple of misconceptions surrounding the term building positive relationships and discuss where actually I kind of agree with the critics and ultimately then coming up to the definition um, that I've kind of created in my teaching career. So firstly, there's the idea that it's about being friends with the students. And first and foremost, absolutely not. Um, I am nearly 30. I have no interest in being mates with 11 to 18 year olds. After all, I obviously still have friends my age who aren't sick to death of me talking about teaching. So I'm happy to keep those in my social circle and not expand it out uh, to the students that I teach. And understandably for any teacher, the idea of building positive relationships with students being this corporate-esque pseudonym for making friendships instead of establishing clear boundaries uh, to deal with behavior issues with students is a terrifying idea. Um, it not only puts teachers in this incredibly awkward position of having to undermine their own authority uh, in order to create this buy-in with poorly behaved students, but it also creates this long-standing reputation for that teacher amongst staff that this teacher can't be trusted to have another member of staff's back if it means risking their newfound friendship with a student. And I say that in terms of uh, a student being very critical of a member of staff. If you decide to undermine that member of staff by agreeing with that student, no one obviously would want to um, really kind of support you in that uh, approach. And that's not what we mean, obviously, by building positive relationships, but there is that stereotype online. And I can say friendship anyway, when it comes to that um, myth and that buy-in. And I put that in air quotes, since some children are perfectly comfortable and pretty competent actually, when it comes to manipulating adults to kind of get their way on a small level. So for example, a very quick, oh, thanks miss, your sound um, is very easy to fake if it means that they get out of a 30 minutes after school detention. So this idea that building positive relationships with students is about being friends with the students at all costs um, is actually quite a very damaging stereotype. And it's something that I completely disagree with. And anybody who tries to link the two together, understandably, should face a fair bit of criticism because that's not what we're talking about here. There's also this belief swirling around staff rooms um, and especially sometimes on social media like Twitter or X or Facebook threads that building positive relationships mean that we have to lower our expectations either at the start of the school year or really at any point during the academic year. It is so important uh, to be clear in what you as a member of staff expect in terms of behavior from students, especially in your classroom. Um, I would recommend to trainees that before they start teaching, that they try to observe as many different teachers as possible. Um, not only does it help them understand what kind of teacher they want to be um, and what values and expectations they'll hold, but it allows them to see as well how those values, how those expectations are really clearly communicated to students. And I think that's obviously a very important way to establish themselves as the teacher, as the authority figure, and build in the foundations that we'll talk about later uh, that can be used to build in that positive relationships without lowering your expectations. And I think it's very interesting that students um, will sometimes complain about these routines and complain about strict, quote unquote, strict teachers. But we all actually know, and sometimes I'll admit it to you if you're lucky, um, that they actually really respect those teachers. And they admit that there's a lot of pressure and stress around things like own clothes days because they love knowing the routine of coming into school in uniform, understanding obviously that's where they stand, that's where the lines are. And especially with staff being uh, quote unquote strict, having just very clear expectations and having clear consequences for not meeting those expectations. That's really important for students. Um, it creates this sense of fairness and it reduces their concerns or any tensions in the room um, because they know ultimately what they need to do to succeed. It's not just a list of if I do X, Y, Z, I might get punished, I might not. I don't know. It depends on the teacher on the day. But having that clear sense of this is what I need to do to succeed in this class, this is what I need to do to excel in this lesson, is a really 
great way to build up that student to help them understand how to avoid those negative consequences and build in more positivity um, throughout their day. And I think as well, loving this sense of routine goes for staff too. No one in our profession, I think, likes having this surprise assembly that throws tutor time out the window and this idea of it will maybe go into period one because we hate when our routines and plans are messed with and we have to adapt and make lots of changes potentially to our lessons and the chaos sometimes that can instill in students. They feel obviously a little bit out of routine. And I think this sense of fairness as well, you can see it in, um, I think, staff meetings really clearly. Um, whenever you see uh, the idea of a member of staff getting quite frustrated that maybe a head teacher um, tells off uh, certain members of staff for using their phones to check their emails in a meeting, but then turns a blind eye to the SLT in the corner. Now, thankfully, I've never actually seen that happen. Um, but obviously, there are stories online of how obviously fairness needs to be instilled, not just among students, but also amongst staff as well. It's something that we all really cherish as a way to build up that positive relationship, knowing where the lines are, knowing that things are consistent and fair. And ultimately, is my kind of tagline for this, clarity is kindness. We cannot expect students to know how to behave if we've not given them the checklist of expectations to follow so that they can succeed. Uh, so, for example, to bring it back to my kind of uh, teaching and my lived experience, I always make it perfectly clear um, verbally. I have this tagline for the lessons. When I'm talking, you're not. It's really clear. It's really straightforward. And it's very easy for me to say and for students to understand. It's not a huge script that I have to remember. It's a very clear, short instruction. Um, now, obviously, if someone needs a pen or has a question, they are more than welcome to put their hand up and wait for me um, to kind of finish the uh, section that I'm on or if a student is feeding back for them to finish their sentence and for them me to ask around the room. And it's really obviously important that they don't then shout out or whisper to the person next to them because understandably, and I explain this in my teaching, um, if students are distracting each other, then that's when students aren't listening, they're not able to learn effectively, and therefore they might miss the important information that holds them back from succeeding in history. Now, this is obviously very clear. It's explained so that they know why this is happening, and therefore it's kind to students. Everybody gets that same treatment. Everybody's voice is important when they're sharing their answers, including you know my own voice, and therefore we expect people to listen and the best way to show that you're listening is to not talk over them. Now, this obviously isn't this Dickensian workhouse strictness uh, approach that I think some people are very worried about when you talk about uh, clear and high expectations. Um, but I, it's something that I really aim to maintain in my lessons because it benefits everyone in the classroom, both teachers and students, and it does help to build that foundation of a more positive working environment. Now, as a bit of a quick aside, I do know there would be people curious about um, how expectations need to be framed for those um, who obviously have certain SEN conditions that obviously need to be uh, taken into account. Now, obviously, when students need extra support, we do need to put in considerations. That obviously goes without saying. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, we have to completely throw out our expectations. We just have to make reasonable adjustments. So, for example, with that previous, when I'm talking, you're not, the example that I come across um, that I've used in my own teaching is when I was teaching a student with Tourette's last year, who was absolutely lovely lad, but did have vocal tics that would uh, result in him sometimes speaking over me whilst I was talking or somebody else um, in the room. Now, understandably, he didn't get a sanction for that. It's something that he's obviously very struggling to control. And so it's not fair to him uh, that he would then get punished for not meeting that expectation. However, I made sure that everybody else in the room was still focused on me, still focused on the student that was speaking uh, rather than the students having uh, a vocal tick. And obviously with other rules, then he still followed those expectations it was just a reasonable adjustment I made to make sure that he felt more comfortable in the room. Um, and happily, uh, he reported back to me when I spoke to him one-on-one, -on -one, whether that was a technique that was helping him or whether I needed to change my approach. And he said it was much better for students to then focus on me 
and for them to keep the expectation so that he felt less self-conscious um, about his tics or the fact that people might be focusing on him uh, instead. Uh, if you are curious about um, how to support students with Tourette's, um, do let me know in the chat. I'm more than happy to um, share what I learned from an absolutely fantastic CPD session I had with um, that young man's father, actually, who talked about the reality of dealing with Tourette's um, in the family and absolutely incredible um, delivery that he gave. So in terms of if you are interested, do let me know in the chat and happy to do um, a session on that later on. Hello, Tilly, and thanks for your message. So in terms of SEN students, again, just to wrap that section up and so we can jump back into it, of course, we need to make extra considerations where appropriate but it's to help students ultimately meet those expectations rather than patronizing them and assuming they're incapable uh, of meeting them. So finally, the only kind of big misconception I think left on the table and the one I've heard in the wild or also known as the staff room, um, and this comes especially from newer teachers, is that you can only start building relationships at the start of an academic year or for primary teachers, um, you can only start them if you have a new class that year. And that's absolutely not true. Um, you can start building relationships uh, at any point throughout the year. And indeed, for myself, I've found that I've actually had to begin uh, building relationships when I've inherited new classes partway throughout a year and sometimes even rebuild uh, working relationships when there's been a negative events. Uh, so, for example, that students had to be removed from a previous lesson um, due to a disruption. Now, it is completely possible and highly recommended uh, to see positive working relations in the present tense. So it is a working relationship. It's not something that has been established once and left. Um, as teachers, I believe we genuinely need to monitor and foster these positive working relationships throughout the year so that we can um, continue to support students and they, as well as ourselves, gain the benefits of these positive working relationships. So if I've missed any misconceptions, please feel free to add them into the chat and we'll happily come back to them later um, as a bit of a Q&A later on. So what do we mean by positive working relationships in the school and why are they so important? That is going to be um, the next section that we look at. Um, so again, if you have any uh, misconceptions that I've missed, add them into the chat and we can feed back in a minute. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. So... When addressing these misconceptions, um, I do want to be clear as possible tonight. When I talk about building positive relationships, I mean that as staff, um, we need to obviously build a working relationship with students that is based on mutual respect, trust, kindness, and a clear sense of boundaries. And in doing so, students will know where the line is in terms of what is acceptable and what isn't. And they will respect you enough as their teacher not to cross those lines intentionally because they see you as a trusted authority figure who cares about their well-being and their academic success. I know that's not quite the snappy soundbite for summarising positive working relationships, um, but I'm sure that obviously I can workshop a, a tagline with Teachers Talk Radio and the team uh, after the show. So, nevertheless, uh, the great thing about positive relationships is that all teachers can benefit from them and build them from early years to sixth form. It doesn't add to our workloads because this is something that we will do uh, kind of naturally throughout our teaching time, as well as our day to day interactions with students. And the handy thing is that building positive relationships is often a natural reaction to being a kind, compassionate professional. And so unless you decide to be rude or standoffish, 
which I don't think any of us will be, uh, you've probably already been developing um, positive relationships throughout your career. Um, it's what actually had me quite surprised at the online debate a couple of weeks ago about positive relationships, since most teachers are already forming these relationships quite casually in lessons um, and building on making sure that students feel safe, they feel supported, they feel listened to, and that there is a mutual sense of respect through clear expectations in the room. And I think, obviously, in terms of that relationship, sometimes we can hear, obviously, the impact when students uh, tell me, I have a form group who sometimes have a bit of a, a gossip about other members of staff. And it's very interesting overhearing some of their conversations when they say, oh, Sir actually is pretty strict, but he's always been fair or something along the lines of, yeah, well, Miss actually cares about us, unlike, you know, um, other teachers at my previous school. And I think it's very interesting that students pick up on this very quickly and they understand uh, which teachers are actively engaging with them in a really positive, professional way. And that obviously then feeds into their perception and not just of the member of staff, but also of the subject. And therefore, I think that positive relationships between teachers and students are crucial for several reasons. And so it benefits not only kind of individual students, but also the classroom environment and ultimately the overall teaching experience. So why do I think these relationships are pivotal um, in terms of uh, staff's and improving the general dynamic in classrooms. Well, first and foremost, positive relationships can be a great way for staff to build a classroom environment that is purposeful, comfortable, and calm. Uh, it's really obviously important that everyone understands expectations. And if the norm is working hard every lesson and showing respect to both other students and to staff, then that is where ultimately positive relationships on an individual can lead to a class change overall. So building those positive relationships fosters a sense of trust and mutual respect. And when students trust their teachers, they are more likely to seek guidance, ask questions and be more open when they need help. And this obviously allows us as teachers to provide that tailored support and not feel that we are just managing behaviour in a classroom, but actually fostering a better understanding of the topic that we're teaching. And that I think is just the core of teaching with that delightful moment where you see that light bulb moment in, in a student's eyes where they get what you're trying to say. They understand something that they didn't understand before. I actually had that today with uh, a couple of my year nines who understood the link between the Doors plan um, in Weimar, Germany and the Wall Street crash that we were going to talk about later on. And it was that moment where they realized the link and the problem with the Doors plan. And it was that light bulb moment that we were able to have because those students felt comfortable asking me uh, more details about the Doors plan, asking me questions. And that came from building up a really positive relationship um, with those students so that they understood that I wasn't going to judge them if they got a wrong answer or if that I would always have time for them if they did have questions. Um, also, students who have good working relationships with their teachers are also likely to be more engaged. Um, if they are feeling comfortable in the room, if they're not worried about the environment or how other students or staff will react to them, then that will obviously create a more comfortable environment for that child and leads to better academic outcomes. Now, obviously, this isn't to say we need to derail our lessons with kind of one-to-one -one off topic conversations, um, especially if it's about something that's completely irrelevant to the lesson, such as, you know, students' home life or their interests that don't really connect to the lesson or might derail it completely. But we can take advantage of small moments to actually naturally build up that sense of rapport, um, especially as well, maybe at the start of lessons or at the end of lessons, as students are getting settled, taking those moments to show a genuine interest and natural um, respect for that student as a person great way to build that positive working relationship. In terms of as well, um, kind of beyond academics, this idea of uh, building this positive teacher-student relationship can support students' personal growth. They can start to see how values such as responsibility, integrity, discipline, respect, what that actually looks like as we model it um, in the room. And this obviously can support the messages being shared in school assemblies, in formal tutor time, don't know what you call it, um, and in the general ethos of the school. 
So those uh, kind of messages that we send to students outside of lessons can actually be reinforced in the lesson itself and reaffirm what it means to build a positive working relationship with another person that they can then use, obviously, um, as they grow older with obviously working with us um, in their primary or secondary careers, as well as um, outside of school as well, when they go to college, university, apprenticeships, the world of work, lots of opportunities there for them to practice their social skills with us because we've built that relationship in naturally and organically into our day to day. And I think a great way that I've seen this um, in my classrooms and in my day to day, and it's not even just in my classroom, I should say, it's really just kind of on the humanities floor in my, uh, my school. When students say, please, thank you, good morning, good afternoon, it creates this lovely buzz in the school of people having these positive moments. Um, and seeing them as people, showing respect, obviously getting those quick little moments of, oh, how are you? I'm good, thanks, you. Yeah, absolutely, I did this, that, and the other at the weekend. Fantastic, sounds exciting. Uh, come on in, tell me all about it at the end of the lesson. It's those small organic moments that not only help students to develop general manners, which always goes down well, um, I think, for the next generation, but also helps students to build up their sense of identity and their self-esteem uh, which obviously are the core elements of that personal growth and development uh, that we see happening throughout their time at school. Positive relationships, as a, as a final note as well of why they're important, they set the tone for the classroom. They create the sense of community and belonging that we really need from our students to feel part of something bigger than themselves. Everybody in that room is there to learn and having this sense of a classroom norm is really important for our day-to-day -day atmosphere in that room. As I was saying, if the norm uh, in a classroom is that students work hard, they follow the rules, and it's okay to make mistakes as a way to learn, this is what students will accept, this is what they will um, adapt to, this is what they will promote in the lesson as well. If we change kind of the script a bit, if you don't have those positive uh, working relationships and you don't have that sense of community and belonging, then we're going to start to see more chaotic behavior, inconsistent expectations, a fear of making a mistake, which is absolutely horrible um, to kind of think about. And the fact that students might not mentally be in the right space to learn creates a bit more of a toxic environment that doesn't really help anybody in the room. So by building up those positive relationships, we can foster what the classroom norm is and support students in following that norm. And with that cohesiveness, fingers crossed, teachers can then lead this collaborative learning um, based on peer support and develop this shared sense of purpose that really drives a lesson from just getting through the hour to an absolutely great lesson where students really understand what you've been talking about for the past hour, two hours, 45 minutes, etc. So in essence, the relationship between a teacher and a student goes beyond this uh, immediate classroom experience. It plays this pivotal role in shaping a student's attitude towards learning, their self-perception, their perception of others, as well as their potential for academic um, success. And for teachers, these relationships can make teaching not only more effective in that we get our message across really clearly and students are receptive to the information and the skills we're trying to teach them, but also it can make teaching so rewarding. We went into the profession, hopefully all of us listening, um, because we liked working with young people. We wanted to make a tangible difference to their lives by improving their outcomes, whether that's um, within obviously a primary setting, a secondary setting, a higher education setting. We're there for the students. And so by creating this rewarding sense of um, students respecting us, us respecting students, and creating this positive feedback loop where we have a generally uh, positive um, relationship with each other, that will only then benefit everybody in the room. It creates a really dynamic, focused learning environment, and that is where the great teaching can really show off and take place. So. How do we build those positive working relationships with students? How do we make sure that actually what I'm saying here isn't just kind of very fluffy and very theory based, but ultimately giving you guys some practical tips of how to succeed and how to do well? 
in terms of building those positive relationships. So by building these positive working relationships, it is going to be foundational um, to have obviously successful teaching and effective classroom management. So I'm going to list about, let me check my list, one, two, three, four, five, six, about eight different tips um, that can be applied from tomorrow um, and you can take into the classroom and use uh, to your advantage. So tip number one, have clear behavior expectations and teach students how to follow those rules and show them very obvious ways to succeed. Telling students what you expect and what happens when they don't meet those expectations um, is really important for them to be able to thrive in your classroom. Now, this doesn't have to be this big introductory lesson at the start of the year or when you introduce yourself to a new class, um, but this can be done in small reminders. Uh, for example, when I've had students uh, waiting patiently with their hand up instead of shouting out, I always make sure to say when I do um, get round to supporting them, thanks for waiting patiently with your hand up, how can I help? Um, in particular for the younger years, emphasising waiting patiently, hand up, how can I help? Um, mostly just to reinforce that I appreciate their good behaviour and that they're following the expectations that I've set out for them um, in a very natural way that allows them to kind of more subliminally <laughs> be reminded that they're doing the right thing. Uh, rather than just focusing on the negatives, it's a great way to see a more positive atmosphere in the room if you're looking for when they are doing it right rather than just um, adding in consequences for when they get it wrong um, and also to build on that for my second tip you need to make sure that you're being fair and consistent in the classroom and the way to do that is applying rules and consequences consistently this is a really important one in terms of student perception if students perceive you to have a bias, to have a favourite, to be unfair, it obviously erodes that sense of mutual trust and from that student they will then start shutting down or becoming more defiant thinking that, um, and it's the generic student thing of they're picking on me, I've done nothing wrong, that teacher just hates me. Now we know that's obviously nonsense, teachers don't have the time in their busy busy work lives to go out of their way to foster this deep resentment a deep hatred for students, it's not why we went into the profession frankly, but this perception that students can have um, can be a really uh, difficult obstacle for students to overcome and so building positive relationships by being consistent, by showing that the rules apply fairly, the rules apply every time, even if it's that same student breaking those same rules, just being consistent with how you approach it um, is a great way to reinforce the trust of not only that student, um, but every other student in the room. If they notice that every time that student shouts out, you follow the behavior policy of your school, um, they will realize obviously, well, that action has a clear consequence. It is therefore that student who needs to meet that cons uh, meet that expectation to avoid that consequence rather than me as a member of staff constantly changing my outcomes um, based on whether or not I want to have that fight, metaphorically, um, with that student uh, in the lesson, whether I want to confront them and decide, right, I need to enforce standards now, but then oh, I'm a bit tired, I've got an hour-long CPD session at the end of the day actually, you know what, I'll just give another verbal warning and hope it goes away. Consistency is crucial. And ultimately, that fair treatment is going to be what reinforces um, the environment in the classroom and the expectation um, that applies not just to that student, but also to every other student in the room. Now, speaking of positivity and building up, um, focusing on the good rather than just the negative, um, a natural, easy strategy to implement is just to be genuine and ideally a bit optimistic. Um, I had a very difficult year nine class last year. Um, and in our school, our options are chosen in year nine. And so the last term with this class uh, where I had about half the room picked geography was a very difficult end to my year. And it wasn't because the entire class was out of control or that uh, there was a lot of you know, physical aggression or very extreme behavior. It was really just a small handful of characters um, who would be very uh, loud, who would try and avoid the rules and 
would become very defiant if met with a very clear expectation and consequence. And I could have let this class absolutely demoralize me and every single day take a big kind of sigh before they walk through the room. Come on in. Let's, you know, another hour. Let's tick down the clock. But instead, um, I made it a point for myself and to the students to start every single lesson being at the door, welcoming the class with the biggest grin that I could uh, come up with on the day. Sometimes I had them period five, which definitely didn't help. Um, but that sense of constant optimism and positivity, regardless of the quality of the previous lesson, no matter if it was absolutely wonderful, whether it was absolutely went off the rails, ultimately having that clear sense of I'm happy to see you, good to see you, come on in, really excited about today, grab your seats, books open, let's jump into it and not reminding them of the poor behavior from previous lessons, help to really reset the tone. And that was especially useful after a, a more difficult or challenging lesson, shall we say, because ultimately, in my mind, I took the attitude of, well, whatever happened is in the past and it's been addressed. Sanctions have been issued where appropriate. So now that's done. I'm ready to start fresh. And I had a really lovely kind of attitude built up over time that occasionally paid off where it was wouldn't it be lovely if this is the lesson where everybody gets it right, where I get achievement points only on the board, no uh, sanctions, no detentions, no behavior points, and we just have a really good lesson. What a wonderful thing uh, for that to happen. Why would I want to be negative and ruin the chance of that happening? Let's go in really positive, see what this lesson holds. And I'll be honest, whilst it wasn't 100% effective, I don't think any strategy ever is in teaching, it did deflect the belief that the teachers just hated them. And it started to win over um, a couple of those uh, students who were a bit more outspoken, shall we say. And it was a great way of reminding as well the well-behaved students in the room that they were individuals that I saw, that I, I recognized they were doing the right thing, and they weren't just lumped in with the rest of uh, the students who may not have been meeting the same expectations. And ultimately, this idea of avoiding that class being, in my mind, uh, perceived as the bad class um, or a difficult class that, oh, I've got to get through this hour, I'm counting down the minutes. I think that helped both the students feel um, more positive towards the lesson, but also is really helpful for myself in resetting those expectations, trying again and rebuilding um, how to make things work. Obviously, on top of that, if changes need to be made to seating plans to better create a, uh, a more positive classroom environment, seating plans are your friends. Please, please use those uh, to establish a more positive working environment. But also as well, I think our own attitudes, our own outlooks can really help in boosting our moods, boosting our approach um, to setting and establishing and following the expectations that we have for all classes. We don't give up. Um, and in essence, that reflects with students who kind of mirror that back. Hopefully, as I say, no strategy is 100% effective, but having that more positive outlook did help. Um, for our fourth point, uh, I advise more so new teachers in this respect. I think more experienced teachers develop this um, over time. But pick your battles um, is a really key idea. And that's not to say ignore bad behavior or um, lower your expectations for some students in the room. It's just suggesting that instead of demanding things and change in particular to happen very quickly or instantly, deciding when to see a student's, um, say, slow response as an act of defiance, which obviously would then need to be sanctioned, versus a student slowly, albeit, uh, but slowly getting to where you want them to be. And by interfering with that process, it's going to um, escalate the situation unnecessarily or potentially stop that student from meeting that expectation because you've derailed them. So, for example, um, if you give an instruction or a reminder of an expectation, walk away to give students the chance to do the right thing. You don't necessarily have to kind of completely ignore them, but I usually use it as an opportunity to do kind of a teacher lap or kind of a walk around the room, depending on how your school phrases it. And it means then that I can have a look 
other students, how they're doing, and come back to that student um, at the beginning of that uh, lap to then see if they've made the right choice. Now, the reason I suggest this is because you give students the chance to do the right thing independently rather than making it this battle of wills where you can't win because the student doesn't want to back down, you don't want to back down, someone's got to back down, and it only ends with um, this kind of really soured note or worse, you've undermined yourself because you've had to back down. So um, in terms of my personal experience with this, usually it's the start of a lesson of, you know, come on in, grab your seat, book open, date, title, quick retrieval practice questions on the board. Now, there are some students who will absolutely faff about, to put it mildly, uh, to avoid having a go at those retrieval practice questions in case they get them wrong. So my approach is as students are coming in, reward verbally the students who are getting it right. Thank you, so-and-so, for having your book out. Brilliant. So-and-so is already on the questions. Lovely. This row or this column doing a great job of getting started today. Much appreciated. But for those students who are slow to start, say they've not really got their book out, they've just about slumped in their seat and shrugged off their jackets, sometimes it's so-and-so, get your book open, let's get started, okay? Walk away, do a bit of a lap or a pastor's perch if you um, are feeling fancy with your language. Basically, just kind of hawk the room and see um, how everyone else is doing. And nine times out of ten, from personal experience, I've noticed that students will naturally follow that instruction. It might take them a few seconds longer than you'd like, um, or in some cases a minute or two longer than you'd like, but I can either decide to stand by that student and hassle them until they get to the required expectation if they don't um, kind of have a defiant response first, which obviously then creates a really negative um, interaction with me and that student unnecessarily and it derails them from getting to my desired outcome of them meeting the expectation sooner. And also, if I've done a lap of the room and they've still not done anything, that is a really clear sign for me that they're just choosing not to get started. So that is when you can start putting in, right, so-and-so, I've asked you to get started, you've chosen not to, I've done a lap of the room, this is now a level one or a verbal warning, however your school's behaviour policy works. You need to now get on with those quick questions. If you need a hand getting started, let me know. I'll give you another chance to get it right. Walk around again. And usually by that point, um, if they haven't already gotten started, it's a really helpful way to de-escalate the situation while still establishing and maintaining the expectations that you have. And ultimately, it's nice when students independently make the right choice. And I've had a couple of times where I think I'm going to need to issue a warning for a student and as if they can read my mind, they then jump into it and get started. And it saves um, having to kind of sour a lovely start to a lesson because one student isn't as uh, quick to get started as the others. Uh, for my fifth point, um, moving on from just the individual student, but having a general policy with students of open communication is a great way for students to feel more comfortable sharing their thoughts, their concerns, their questions. And I think it's important as well. And I do believe most teachers do this already, but be an active listener when students are talking to you. And as a kind of a more subtle um, way for me to check in with students, especially if it's silent work, try and get into the habit of using nonverbal um, communication. So my go to is kind of a thumbs up and a mouthing of, are you OK? Um, usually students will kind of give me a thumbs up or nod. Um, and oftentimes they kind of appreciate that gentle check in without it being a why aren't you getting on with it? Pen to paper, level one, you need to be getting on and that negative interaction, a sense that you care and you're just checking in because you're worried whether or not you actually are kind of deeply concerned. It's kind of up for debate. But if you are just checking in, students like that. It's a nice way to feel connected uh, without disrupting the lesson. Um, but sometimes I have had a couple of moments where I've done the kind of thumbs up. And they've given me either a very confused look or a shaking of the head. And that for me is a really great clue for me to then walk around the room with them as the kind of go to uh, end point, ask them how they're doing, what can I help with? And it allows students to feel more comfortable asking for help rather than putting their hand up and announcing to the room they don't know what they're doing, which especially for uh, more self-conscious students or students with anxiety can be very difficult. Um, in terms of then providing that feedback, so they've um, asked a question, asked a, uh, made a comment, 
that you need to then respond to. My sixth tip is trying to come up with ways to provide constructive feedback, um, focusing on how to improve rather than just highlighting mistakes. So I've got into the habit this year, and I'm going to keep it up as long as possible, of doing a Good News Friday email or kind of a student of the week email, which actively rewards students um, by contacting the parents by saying they've exceeded expectations and really saying, you know, thank you. They should be proud. Um, If you have any questions or concerns, let me know. But really great week this week. And I think it's nice that students can be rewarded for constantly meeting expectations, which obviously highlights the students that normally go missed or hidden. But also as well, students who bounce back after a bad lesson. What I was saying earlier about building or rebuilding expectations throughout the year rather than just at the very start. This is a great way to tell the students, I've noticed that you've bounced back. You've made a really good um, effort today. Fantastic. We're going to um, reward that and show that I've acknowledged that, especially with parents. They always like a bit of good news as well rather than just negatives. And also it can be used for one-off moments of an exceptional piece of coursework, homework, classwork, or something they've done in their extracurricular that they've come to tell you about. It's a great way to celebrate student achievements, no matter how small, as that recognition of their efforts really can boost their self-esteem and their motivation. And that is such a core aspect of building a positive working relationship with students. Uh, As my penultimate point, um, I do think it's important that we don't just recognise Uh, positive behavior as an email or a verbal recognition, but also acting as a model um, for positive behavior as well. So we need to exhibit the behaviors and attitudes that we expect from our students. So showing kindness, patience, respect, enthusiasm, all of those things that I know that most teachers do casually, but making it a more conscious effort to reflect that day to day. Um, It's a great way to show students what we mean when we ask them to reflect this back to us. And oftentimes, I think students are quite happy to be this mirror. Um, And it's a great way to kind of build in that classroom environment where everybody feels calm. People know that the room is purposeful. People get on with the work as the norm and that people treat each other with respect. You know, if somebody makes a rude comment, that is obviously sanctioned and um, highlighted as not what we do here. And by reinforcing that sense of the norm through modeling that perfect uh, positive behavior, obviously it's not going to be perfect every time, but if you can show them how to uh, improve, in essence, what a good one looks like, or WAGOL if we're going to use the acronyms, that is a great um, start. So good mornings, good afternoons um, are a great way to do this. Uh, This is what I started doing uh, when I started teaching. How many years ago now? It's best not thinking about But um, it kind of got into a bit of a weird Stephen Fry QI habit at one point of repeating um, kind of welcomes into the classroom with, you know, good morning, good morning, good morning, or afternoon, afternoon, afternoon. And I actually started to see students um, repeat it back to me. And they had this big grin on their face. And it was uh, a lovely way to start the lessons with a little bit of a joke. They still showed respect. Um, It was just a fun way for them to, to kind of mimic back something silly that I was doing while still obviously being uh, really respectful. And it was just a really nice, quirky, positive way to begin a lesson. And uh, ultimately, I haven't uh, got into the habit of saying it as much nowadays when I caught myself doing it, but it might be something I bring back. That general sense, though, of modelling positive behaviours, your good mornings, your pleases, your thank yous, this is how listening um, looks like, in a sense, what it looks like. I think that's a great thing for students to see on a day-to-day basis and can build up that positive uh, working relationship naturally without us having to do any extra work on top of our uh, lesson planning and teaching and learning. So finally, my last tip is being aware of other cultures. And this might sound a bit um, kind of off-piece considering the rest are very kind of generic tips that can apply to any scenario. But understanding students' backgrounds and raising awareness of different events in a calendar is a really great way to connect with students naturally and organically and can be a great teaching moment. So around Christmas time uh, for the winter break, always ended lessons with Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, have a great Kwanzaa or just have a lovely winter break. And it was interesting the amount of students then who would ask about, well, 
hold on, what do you mean? What's, what's Kwanzaa? Um, or a couple of uh, Jewish students that I taught would reply, oh, and happy Hanukkah. And everybody started to feel more included. And it was a lovely way to expand students' awareness that it wasn't just Christmas. It wasn't just um, one holiday we were focusing on. We were able to kind of engage on lots of different levels that way. And another way to do this on a more day-to-day rather than just seasonal is learning how to pronounce uh, traditional names. So seeing a student's face light up when I've got their name right the first time. Google translates or Google pronunciation and writing a phonetic spelling on my seating plans are great for this um, because I sometimes struggle, especially if it's an unfamiliar name. Um, That's a great way to engage with a student's background without it feeling um, inauthentic. And it creates that initial positive um, moment, sometimes even admitting, I'm really sorry, Poppet. Um, can you pronounce your name for me? Can you tell me how to pronounce your name? So that way then I get it right in the future, showing that you're willing to put in that effort to better um, represent them, better understand them and see their culture, traditions and backgrounds is just a wonderful way to build up that positive working relationship. So to wrap up then, building positive relationships aren't about befriending students or lowering expectations. Clear expectations, in fact, and having those uh, sensible boundaries are vital classroom dynamics uh, tools. And teachers can start fostering these positive working relationships at any point in the year. It's not just at the beginning of the academic uh, season. So building these positive relationships is all about fostering a mutual respect, trust and having clear boundaries between staff and students. It's about students uh, viewing teachers as trustworthy figures invested in their academic and personal growth and that such relationships um, are really important for us as both staff and students to create this productive, comfortable and calm classroom environment. It's something that we really need to um, promote more on a day to day basis in our um, profession. And I think students ultimately, when they realize they know where they stand, it can promote engagements, a more positive sense of well-being. They're calmer in the room and they have often better behavior because they know that there are consequences for poor behavior and rewards for positive behavior that will be uh, recognized and will be celebrated with them. And I think ultimately to build these positive relationships, to sum up all those tips, we need to make sure that we are consistent, that we are genuine, that we are optimistic, even when it's not very easy, and that uh, we are willing to offer chances to students to correct their behavior independently, rather than looking for students making mistakes and going out of our way to punish those, giving the students the chance to do the right thing is so helpful for us as staff. And If we're trying obviously to engage with students, there are so many tools that we can use, both verbal and nonverbal, to provide that constructive feedback and to check in with students, um, both within and outside of lessons. So overall, um, the emphasis is on mutual respect, consistency and understanding. And these positive relationships aren't just a tagline, they aren't a buzzword, they aren't this um, scary, Uh, unprofessional idea or concept. They are actually pivotal for academic success and creating a harmonious classroom environment. And in fact, it's something that we do as teachers every day. And we should be really celebrating the fact that we are doing this rather than um, allowing these misconceptions about positive relationships to change the way that we ultimately connect with young people in a professional setting. So, Hopefully, I've been able to give you some great tips and some tricks on how to build positive working relationships with uh, students. And thank you so much for tuning in this week to listen to hear me on um, Teachers Talk Radio. It would be great to see you in a fortnight's time uh, for my next show. I will again do the general uh, advertising for the message and what we're going to be looking at uh, in a fortnight's time so do please keep an eye out on social medias look at teachers talk radio catch it up on podbean in a fortnight's time and i will make sure to hand out as many details as possible so in the meantime thank you for your time tonight take care and i'll see you next time
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.